0: Hey Midlifers, welcome to the Midlife Makeover Show. Are you ready to break free from your mundane midlife? Are you feeling trapped in a vicious cycle of rinse and repeat days? No matter if you're experiencing a divorce, hangover, job burnout, or you just have the midlife blues, I got you. Hey, I'm Wendy, your hostess of the Midlife Mostess. I too was hit by midlife like a freight train. I too felt stuck in the same dull chapter. I wanted the clarity of how to create a new life beyond divorce and the courage to leave an unfulfilling career. But I kept telling myself that I wasn't worthy and it was just easier to stay in my comfort zone until I found a little secret, the freedom to live my life my way. In this podcast, you will learn how to achieve a vibrant midlife mind and body, how to create solid relationships through love and loss and how to create an awesome second half of life. Grab your grande latte, pop in your earbuds and let's get this midlife party started. Dr. Thomas Jordan, welcome to the Midlife Makeover Show. I am so happy to have you on here today and most importantly because we're going to be talking about I think what is the most important topic <laughs> in our lives, <laughs> right? Relationships <laughs> and most importantly Love life. So tell everyone a little bit more about what you do and what led you to do what you do.
1: Well, uh, I've been studying love life issues for about 30 years or so. Mm-hmm. I'm a clinical psychologist, a psychoanalyst in New York City. And uh, the reason why I shifted towards love life in my interest and in my research was I was seeing people who were repeating a lot of love life heartaches over and over again multiple disappointments, reaching the point of resignation in many instances in middle age and beyond. So there's a lot to know there. I, I felt like that we weren't really, people in my profession weren't really dealing with that issue in a way that was good enough in my idea, my my way of looking at it. So. I began collecting information, asking questions, doing surveys, getting a look at some of the clinical cases I was working with and and learning basically mm-hmm. and the other the other reason is that I changed my own love life uh, mm-hmm. between the ages of seventeen and thirty five I had a lot of disappointing love relationships over and over again until an analyst here in New York got a hold of me and said, "Tom, you're using some your mother's template, your mother's blueprint." <laughs> oh,
0: that- to to deal with your
1: love life and it's getting you into trouble and so I took a little bit of a hiatus from dating and started studying you know what was in my head what I like to call the psychological love life which is a very important concept I believe Mm -hmm. Um, because that's where permanent changes take place in a person's love life by going inside and changing what you bring to the party so to speak what you're expecting Mm -hmm. what you're looking for what you've learned about love relationships, that basically is unconscious. So that's a bit of a problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, Consciousness is our greatest asset in many respects, and that's what's required here in order to make real changes in the love life. So anyway, I I changed my own love life. Um, I can tell you a little more about that as we go along. And I've been married for 28 years as a consequence of those changes. So I wanted to put it in a book (laughs) that people could read, get something out of it. Um, something that would encourage people to begin working on their psychological love lives. And that's where it went.
0: Nice. What a great story. You know, there's, um, I've interviewed, well, almost a hundred people so far on the show. And there's been one common thread with every single one of them. And that is that they teach what they've learned. Uh So their personal life ended up becoming their professional life.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like in my book, in my book, I wanted to, I, I was struggling over the idea of having case studies and what patients I would need to get release forms from and so on and so on. And then I thought, no, I'm gonna use myself. <laughs> yeah, you're the case study. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. And I can give myself permission anytime I want to give yeah, myself permission. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's nice. Like you're
0: you're you were the <clears throat> guinea pig
1: Absolutely. that led you
0: to where to where Absolutely. you are.
1: And it drew, it really got driven home when I put a picture, I found a photo of my father mother and myself when I was a year and a half old being held in my father's arms my mother was standing there and I thought okay this is this is the introduction right here this is the picture that that says a lot about where and how I learned about love relationships because the family of origin is a gigantic wonderful years-long classroom
0: Hmm. I think I read recently, uh, it actually a few times recently, so maybe there's some reason why it keeps sticking out for me, but that we learn um about relationships and the basis of ourselves within
1: the first, what, eight years of okay. our lives. I would stretch that. Mm-hmm. I think that there's learning uh, and learning compiled on learning. And I think learning occurs throughout the lifespan. Yet. The learning that occurs early in life, the period you're mentioning and a bit Mm -hmm. beyond is powerful because of the vulnerability that's involved when we're children, uh, because of the people who are teaching us are people Mm -hmm. we love. You know, people have asked me, what's your definition of love life? My definition of love life, as per the research I've been doing, is it starts at the moment of life. Mm -hmm. It involves any and all relationships involving the emotion of love past and present so Mm -hmm. your first love relationship is when you come out of the womb the person right there to receive you good old mom or whomever Mm -hmm. that's the person that you're connecting to and that's a love relationship so the beginnings of your love life take place right from the start of life yeah that's important Uh, Yeah.
0: And I think, too, it's like I and I've looked back over the decades of my life and kind of like connecting those dots and like, oh, well, this is why this current relationship is not working out because boop, boop, boop. Oh, uh, I learned that. uh And at the same time, our parents, my parents, your parents, everybody's parents were doing the best that they could with what they were taught. right? Right. Exactly. So it just kind of keeps going down the line. And and I wanted to make a point, too, about you were talking about kind of like, I mean, we're creatures of habit, right? Mm. So we we keep repeating the same thing with right. what we learn, and it just keeps getting passed on until you make that decision like you did to break the cycle.
1: Yeah. And when you break the cycle, you it becomes a self-study. I want to use that mm. phrase. Mm. You're What you're studying is what's in your psychology that results in the replication of unhealthy relationship experiences that Mm -hmm. you've had in your life. Now, as an adult, being recreated in your love life. So what's important to understand is that uh, these things that we learn become the blueprints that we use to do that recreation. And unfortunately, if you've learned something unhealthy, and in the book, I, I list 10, it's now 12. I've added two since I've written the book, unhealthy relationship experiences that have, I, I've i witnessed have come into people's love lives. The three that came into my love life, and basically, uh, I would say, my mother taught me that eligible women were dependent, controlling, and self-centered. Wow. Yeah. And so- I went looking for dependent, controlling, and self-centered women. And what's really scary about it is when I met someone who wasn't, I thought they were. That's how Mm. powerful that learning was. So it was defeating any effort I was making in my love life all the way around. So when I was able to enter what I call in the book, I I call it an an unlearning method, a three-step unlearning method to unlearn what I had learned so that I could move my love life consciously in a new direction, that's when a bunch of new opportunities opened up.
0: Yeah. I was going to actually say, I'd I'd watched your video on your website, the YouTube video, which is great. And you talked about, like, it's not even so much what you need to learn about your love life. It's what you need to unlearn.
1: Unlearn, right. Well, you're going to learn about love relationships no matter what. Mm -hmm. We learn by observation. We learn by relationship, the kind of relationships we have and how we're treated in the family Mm -hmm. of origin. Sometimes we learn by instruction. I can remember uh, when I was, how old was I? About eight years old. My three brothers were there. Uh, My father was making waffles (laughs) in the (laughs) early 60s. My mother was serving them. And my father says, this early Sunday morning, my father says to us, you know, you guys, I hope you guys find a woman like your mother to marry when you get old enough, right? And we're all sitting there like, okay, she's the model, right? <laughs> and that's instruction. That's instruction. I mean, we weren't taking notes and there wasn't a blackboard. But, but it like planted it, it, that Planted. My her, father yes. was giving us a suggestion. He was saying, you know, yeah. a woman like mom would make a good wife for you three guys, you four guys. Yeah. So you know, so it can come in these various ways, but it primarily comes by observation and relationship. Those are the mm-hmm. ways we begin to take in this learning. And again, it's unconscious. That makes yeah. it that makes it out of reach. It's like a a blueprint, a habit. The habit. Mm-hmm. The word habit implies repetition. It's right. something that's got of it's got control of us, and that's part of the problem. If mm-hmm. something unhealthy has been learned, we're not in control of our love lives when that's the case, right? I, it, someone would say, "Oh, but how about if it's healthy? If I've learned something healthy, fine. If you've learned something healthy, maybe you don't even have to become aware of it. It'll right. produce healthy patterns. You right. you look for those healthy patterns. Mm-hmm. It's the unhealthy learning that's right. troublesome.
0: Yeah. Well, you almost become robotic. I mean, because we are ah. such. Creatures of habit, we're just like, "Uh, uh, uh." yeah. And I think until you really, number one, make that decision, and then number two, become more mindful and aware of what it is that you're thinking and doing on a daily basis, not even, I think, not just in your relationships, but everywhere in your life, where you, I think, like with those beliefs that get stuck in there.
1: Uh huh. Right. (laughs) Beliefs, behavior, and feelings. Yeah. Those are the three ways. See, I was I was interested in breaking down what we learn about love relationships into mm-hmm. parts that I could then work with. So uh in my research, what we believe about love relationships, unconsciously believe. For example, people will say in my office from time to time, all men cheat. Mm, yeah. They all cheat. You know it. Yeah. They they're dogs. Mm-hmm. They 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 go astray. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, okay, this person had a was exposed to dishonesty, cheating mm-hmm. at some point in their development. Perhaps they witnessed it parents, other family members and they may have gone looking unconsciously for that type of partner. They right. found someone who couldn't commit and now after a couple of those experiences, the belief is firmly placed in the back of their mind mm-hmm. men cheat. Yep. And it kind of it's self-confirming because that's the template they're using. Right. So that's the type of person they gravitate toward. And mm-hmm. that's the crazy part. Yes. That, yeah. You know, if we're not conscious, we're going to replicate the very experiences that have been kind of put into us as a consequence of being exposed to that. And then right. there's the behavior. People can find people who cheat on them, or they can do the cheating, or they can alternate. Uh, right. They cheated in this relationship. They were cheated on by this relationship. So it's like all of these relationships involve cheating. And the familiar feeling that comes with cheating, the the being, you know, deceived, the mm-hmm. feeling of not being able to trust, gets replicated over and over again. The familiar feeling. And mm-hmm. the code in familiar, of course, is family.
0: Familiar.
1: Mm-hmm. That's, oh. the, that's the core. I've never thought
0: about that before. What
1: we learn in the family. So the familiar can be healthy or unhealthy. In this case that we're describing, it's unhealthy. So the person is recreating, recreating unconsciously through belief, behavior, and feeling the same scenario, different Mm -hmm. people, but same scenario over and over again until, and here's where the, 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 the real, you know, tragic stuff shows up resignation sets in mm. and resignation can set in after a certain amount of this disappointments depending on the person and then they reach a point and i've interacted with people who have this belief have this feeling i don't trust love love's not for me mm-hmm. i can already predict what's going to happen
0: mm-hmm. so they
1: pretty much build a wall and that's tragic
0: right yeah. I mean, they've lost hope and in, in love. Yeah. 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 So, how does somebody unlearn?
1: Yeah. Okay. The unlearning <laughs> method, which is basically distilling what I experienced, and mm-hmm. I wanted to put it into a methodology people could think about in terms of three steps. Um, the first step is always consciousness and mm-hmm. identifying. What you've learned and what taught you. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the first clue is Is something repeating in my love life? Let me sit back, start looking inward, and ask myself the question Is something repeating in my love life? Am I finding the same kind of people over and over and over again? Is Mm -hmm. the same theme showing up in my love life? And Mm -hmm. that repetition is a clue that something's been learned, it's gone into habit, as you said, and it's being replicated over and over again. So -hmm. the next thing is to put a little meat and bones on that, like what's being replicated? Um, Is it uh, dishonesty? Is it abandonment? Is it neglect, rejection? Uh, what's being replicated? So once you've, and I, I put my list of unhealthy relationship experiences together as a list, so people could, could. I mean, I, I'm sure there's more than twelve, but people could use it to kind of guide them to begin thinking about this. Maybe they identify, oh yes, there was significant neglect, and I can see how I've been moving toward people who are unavailable emotionally. Mm-hmm. So that neglect. It comes out in that way in my love. My love. So once they identify the unhealthy relationship experience they've had in their lives, and it can be more than one, then they've achieved stage one, step one. They've identified it. They begin also to look at what beliefs do I have about uh, love relationships that might be unhealthy as a mm-hmm. consequence of what I've been exposed to? What? How do I find these partners? Do I tend to gravitate towards them? I remember I had a woman in my office years ago, Um, she had grown up in an alcoholic family with alcoholic father, alcoholic brothers, married two alcoholic men, and she was now single and free and did a little work on herself. And we had a light moment where I said to her, if I have a party there's not a drop of alcohol and there's one alcoholic and 50 men, eligible men, <laughs> but one alcoholic. Will you be talking to him by the end of the evening? She started laughing. She goes, I got off of guys like that. I just, I just, yeah, wait a minute, like, there's no alcohol there. How can you tell? It, I, I don't know. I pick up the aura. There's a personality. Yes. There's something. And you know. that's the type of thing to become interested in. Once you start looking at your behavior, how come I'm always talking to the guy who's a little bit abusive or a little Hmm. rough around the edges or always talking about the guy who's not available but wants to be who says he is, you know, and you start looking at those patterns that empowers a person to do that kind of work. And then Hmm. that's step two. You're challenging what you've learned. You're not letting it remain in the automatic recesses of unconsciousness. You know, Mm -hmm. you're taking it out of the box. You're looking at it. Uh, When you see it show up in your daily experience, you challenge it instead of just letting it uh, happen the way it usually happens. So it starts to break up. It's not as powerful as it used to be. And then stage three, I think of as the correction stage. And the most powerful way to think of that, in my experience, is the opposite. The opposite mm. of abandonment is commitment. Let me study commitment. It's unfamiliar. I didn't mm. learn it at, in my family of origin, but I'm going to study it now as a middle-aged person.
0: Right. What right. does
1: commitment look, at, uh, look like? I've had patients tell me, Dr. Jordan, you know, I, I'm used to guys who aren't available, but guys who are available scare me. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know how to behave. I don't know what to do with them. Um, Yeah.
0: Because all of those behaviors are, are connected to that one, like big limiting belief. Right. 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 So It's it's almost like it just, it, it's a domino effect. Like you take away this one limiting belief and then you have to, these other behaviors are going to need to shift.
1: Yes, and to go yeah. to the title, which I was excited about your podcast because mm-hmm. makeover, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, is related to a word I love reinvent sure. middle mm-hmm. yep. aged people, which yep. is the predominant group in my practice. If you mm-hmm. put my practice on a graph 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, yeah. <laughs> 60s. It's middle life. Middle life is a wonderful time to become acquainted with your psychology. Yeah. Who you are. Who am I is a wonderful yep. middle-aged question. It, they used to be associated with the midlife crisis. Let's think of it as a midlife opportunity.
0: Yes. And I always say awakening. And I'm like, it's awakening. your time beautiful. That's
1: beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. now you're old enough and young enough. You're old enough to look at what you've learned, and you're young enough to implement something new, to recreate, to create, not recreate, to Mm -hmm. create something new. Reinvent yourself. Realize what I've learned is limited and producing disappointment. Let me go in the opposite direction. Uh, Let me look for a devoted partner instead of a neglectful one. Let me look for a person who can be intimate and mutual instead of narcissistic. Let me look for a person who values honesty instead of dishonesty. Uh, All of these opposites define the type of intimate relationship that promotes love, uh, grows love, Yes. Uh, Yes. In my preface, I say at the beginning of my book, this is not a book about love. Mm -hmm. Love is a wonderful, unpredictable, uncontrollable. I hope it stays that way. Emotion (laughs) that most of us can have maybe more than once in our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. We can't change that. It comes to us. It does us. Yeah. What I'm interested in is love relationships the relationships we form mm. when we fall in love yeah that yeah. we can do something about
0: yes there was one word that really stuck out to me and you had said grow and there's a quote of a comfort zone is the beautiful place but nothing ever grows there
1: ah and <laughs> yeah. yeah i love
0: i don't know who said it maybe it was uh-huh. me all right <laughs> <laughs> And I think I think a lot about my audience and all the time like what do they need to hear and I think about and and most importantly what are their issues what are they struggling with a lot of it is related to relationships I think when you get to midlife you are at a turning point you could either stay in that comfort zone even when it's uncomfortable really like And it, unhealthy it, Yes exactly it's unhealthy and uncomfortable But, and as you know, too, sometimes the unhealthy and the uncomfortable is comfortable. So that's why they're like, you know what, I'm going to stick with these crappy relationships. I'm going to stick with these same behaviors and same feelings because it's too much trouble to try to go one, two, three, let me go recognize this and change this. So how do you help someone get unstuck and help them realize like, yes, you have got to get A little uncomfortable so you can go over here and get more comfortable. Yeah.
1: People say it like this to me. They'll say, oh, it's the devil you know. (laughs) And then I say, but how about the love you don't know? Yes. Want to get to know it?
0: Yeah. Mm.
1: That's going to make you uncomfortable? Okay. Change. Change is always accompanied by discomfort. I'm Mm. sorry. That's the way we're built. Yep. Yep. Exactly. you said it well. I mean, when you're going to make change, there's going to be discomfort. If you accept that fact, then you coexist with that discomfort better. If Mm -hmm. you fight that discomfort, you don't change. You don't do anything different. You stay where you are. So a willingness to tolerate the discomfort until the change becomes known, Mm-hmm. uh become something that you learn you 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 get to understand it you see it's even better than what you've done before so right. one of the one of the wonderful things about being a human being is that we have something to say for how much growth takes place in our adulthood oh. you know you know love I that. I I love childhood childhoods mm-hmm. a wonderful time I mean in my research it's really a time of Figuring out what type of learning takes place. Okay, that's my major interest in childhood. But right. I love adulthood. Why? Because in adulthood, we get to take control yes. of what can happen in our mm-hmm. lives. We become creative if we choose to be. Yep. We can create, we can reinvent, we can have a makeover. We can look at our relationships and mm-hmm. say, they're not good enough. I need to make a change and Make that a project. People say to me, you know, what's the takeaway from all your research? And I say to people, work on your psychological love life. Work on it. We work on our financial lives. We work on our medical lives, exercise regimen. We work Mm -hmm. on our educational lives, occupational life. How about the love life? The psychological (laughs) love life. Yeah. People say, "Oh, I learned that in my family of origin. I don't need to change it." What? Yeah. With a 50%, 40 to 50% divorce rate, 60% for second marriages, 73 for third marriages, I don't think so. Yeah, exactly. So interestingly, <laughs>
0: Yesterday, I did a uh, Instagram live show with a uh, divorce coach, not a divorce, but I'm a dating coach. And uh-huh. she just came out with a book. It's about dating after divorce.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And the number one thing is, is about getting connected with yourself and what did not work before having mm-hmm. to unlearn. Right. Uh-huh. So then you can move on into your future and have a great love life and most importantly with yourself too. I mean, I, right. I think for me, my own midlife makeover again, I I was my own guinea pig too, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> and I got to a point in my life where I was like, okay, something has not been working out right. Like it's just been like, and I'm stepping in one pile of crap after another.
1: <laughs>
0: I've got to figure this out. You've got to get new shoes. <laughs> so right. I did take a break and I spent a lot of time... I, I gave that gift to myself. And I think that's really important to say. It's a gift to you. And it's it's a gift to your current relationships, to your past relationships, your future relationships, when you can really connect better with who you are and, and know who you are. Uh-huh. And I'm rattling off a bunch of quotes today, but Life is not about finding yourself; it's about creating yourself.
1: Creating, yeah, and that's yeah. So I love that you said that. That's the adult thing. That's what adults can do. That's what middle-aged people can do. Mm -hmm. And it's very, it's comforting to know that we human beings possess that capacity. What's scary and tragic is that many people don't discover that ability. They don't utilize it, Mm -hmm. Um, and that's you know that's really sad. Uh, I have a. I have a website the lovelifelearningcenter.com mm-hmm. that I, I I put up back in 2012 and I wanted it to be a library online, mm-hmm. real articles, you know stuff that would help people solve love life problems and stuff. I got about 300 and some articles up there now. so yeah. uh, there are a few articles that I wrote that really got a lot of commentary because there were a lot of people out there that connected with it. One of them was living without love in your life and boy oh boy that i get commentary and i read every one in fact i changed the post twice as a consequence of what i was reading uh a lot of people in their 40s 50s and 60s were writing about how much of a struggle it was to live without love how resigned Mm -hmm. they felt and so Mm -hmm. on so i really learned that there's a lot of people out there What great people, people with a lot of potential who just don't trust love because they've yeah. made the same mistakes over and over again. And in my way of thinking, they're not conscious of what these mistakes actually are made of, right. what the details are. And if they were, they would then be able to make the changes necessary to produce a different outcome. Because, you know, Another, Mm -hmm. another feature of human psychology is that oftentimes gets overlooked that I've discovered in my work over the years, when you change something here, Mm -hmm. this changes as well. Right. And people will say to me, well, so what? So I devote a year to changing myself. So what? So what? Everything changes. The people that come to you change. What you look for changes, what you're capable of tolerating and, and, and appreciating in your life changes, your contexts change so much more.
0: Yeah. And, and it's almost, it's wild because as I look back, even in the last few years of my life, what has come my way without technically even asking for that to come my way, because as you know, thoughts thoughts become things. Thoughts are energy. Your uh-huh. behavior is energy. Uh-huh. All it right. all like you're like this little Feelings ball are of,
1: energy. But <laughs> what, what is that? Feelings are Feelings, energy. Oh too. yeah, huge. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Or all I right. think of it as um, emotion is energy in motion.
1: Ah, that's right. right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And you know how I define feeling? Emotion. Mm-hmm. Emotion is what we're born to experience. Uh, mm-hmm. Anger, grief, love. Yes. Feelings are. Emotion and learning combined. Oh, interesting.
0: See, I've learned something. I'm not going to unlearn that one. <laughs> 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 I like that one. That is that is so true. That is such a good uh good way to put it. Yeah, and I, I think that I think one thing is really good to point out here, it's all possible to change because. Just with you know studies of neuroscience, like you can rewire your brain, you can rewire that behavior. You, it's very, very possible. But you have to go into it like, yes, I can do this. Yes, I'm willing to change. And before you know it, sometimes you you wake up and realize that your life has changed, that you have changed.
1: Yes, yeah. And learning, learning is a wonderful asset. It's our greatest asset and our greatest liability. Mm -hmm. If you learn something that progresses your life that improves your life that grows you as a person that's beautiful that's wonderful you could learn something that gets you stuck interferes yeah. with your growth so and learning takes place from the beginning of life right yeah. at the beginning so i i've just over the years the more i do this work the more i realize how important learning is but mm-hmm when it's unconscious, that's when it's scary. Unconscious learning means that we pick up so many things and then we lose track of what these things are, but they're not gone. They're in the closet. They're in the back room. They're very active in predicting our experiences in life. Yeah.
0: It's like there's a little sponge up here just
1: Uh (laughs) soaking it all (laughs) up. That's a a scary and wonderful metaphor. I mean, sponge. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah,
0: but then I think, too, uh, with the metaphor, you can squeeze out the sponge and squeeze uh, out what
1: you don't need. Well, well, but you take it out of your head and look at it. Okay, what's <laughs> yeah, in this sponge? Exactly. Let, <laughs> me, let me extract the liquid and take a look at what's in the bowl. Oh, yeah, exactly. Right Mine
0: was a little moldy. But <laughs> I don't want that
1: one that one. <laughs> I
0: squeeze that out. I know.
1: Right, right, right.
0: It's exciting, though, too. I, I think, um, you know, transformation and it, it's all hard work. But it's mm. exciting, though, too. It, it's it's just like you were saying earlier, it's such a great opportunity to create a new version of you, a version 2.0. or yeah, i yep. I think I'm on version five hundred
1: by now, but, <laughs> you know, right. but it, yeah. yeah. you know what you know what happened to me once my analyst pointed out that I was using my mom's blueprint, and she suffered from those three things, dependency, control. And self-centeredness in her life. So I went looking for the opposites. I realized that the opposites were important, but I wanted to, I was a little freaked out about dating and love relationships. You know, I was like, wait a minute, I got to get a handle on this a little bit better. So what I did, and I think I look back on it as an internship, I developed very intimate relationships, non-sexual, non-romantic with women. And Mm -hmm. I had a few best buddies for a few years, hung out with them. I never had a sister. My mom was the only model in my Mm -hmm. family. So, and my friends, my female friends were independent, not controlling and not self-centered. And as I think back, I hung around with them. We met people uh, and we talked to each other about it. We spent time together. We were interested in each other's development. It was a friendship, real friendship. I had never had that kind of depth of friendship with a woman before in my life. Women were restricted to dating, romance, this kind of thing. So I was broadening my concepts. I was was taking a look at something different from what I had familiar, what was Mm familiar in me. So it was so interesting that when those relationships began to, you know, Uh, My my best female friend moved away and our relationship cooled. And and it wasn't shortly after that, my wife showed up, Mm. who was, is, she's in the next office over there. (laughs) (laughs) She is independent, not controlling, not self-centered. So it's like, wait a minute, I changed something in my expectations. It's now a conscious search. It's Mm -hmm. not an unconscious sponge thing that I'm not aware of or have anything to do with. I'm not being controlled by what I've learned. I'm now in charge of what I've learned and I'm Mm -hmm. changing. I'm unlearning and I'm learning something better. And when I was able to do that, I realized, wait a minute, an independent, not controlling, not self-centered woman is a better partner, is someone who's available for love Mm. relationship, a healthy love relationship, because there are lots of people out there. And I was one of them for many years, who's not prepared for love relationship for not prepared for of a healthy love relationship. There's a little bit of work they have to do on themselves. Maybe Mm. they want to be maybe they'd like to be right. But sometimes and I think of people Sometimes earlier in life, in your 20s, a lot of the relationships, you're learning a lot about them. You know, you reach your 30s and 40s, you're thinking, OK, I need a companion. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. get a little more serious. That's the way I experienced it. Great fun in Manhattan, nightlife. Then I reached <laughs> the point where, OK, I'm I'm now in my middle 30s. I'm turning yeah. 36. I have to think about my life. Like, What, what kind of life am I going to lead? Right. You know? Uh, mm-hmm. I want something more meaningful. When that relationship focus started to show up in my mind, I had some tools that I could use to start telling myself stuff like, "Okay, let me start asking: Are you someone?" I used to say it inside my head, like, "Are you? Are you a serious person when it comes to relationships?" <laughs> no. Yes. No. <laughs> you know, and start evaluating right. your relationship experiences in that mm-hmm. way. And when you're doing that. I think the probability of finding a healthy love relationship goes up.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, too, with obviously most of my audience being people at midlife and a lot of them having divorced, I think what they're finding, too, is that they are looking for something different. You're not looking for like when you're in your 20s. You might've just been looking to have fun, but then eventually you're like, okay, I need to have, I need to find someone to, you know, we're going to have children. We're going to have this household. And then you're in your fifties or sixties and it's a totally different ball game. You're not looking for those same things. Uh And if anything too, I I think it's, it does cause you to reflect and then also decide what is important to you. What are, what, what do you really want for that? Second half of life.
1: Yeah. And questions who do you want like,
0: by your side? Right. right? Questions like that are very powerful. Yeah.
1: Very mm-hmm. powerful. Because yeah. now you're you can see how you're now you're you're working on the inside, you're asking questions, you're reflecting, you're considering your again. That's the work of the psychological love. Like, what do I want? Right. What, what, what have I wanted versus mm-hmm. what do I want that could be healthier and better for mm-hmm. me? Uh, as an individual, and that that's, that's a person shifting their psychological love life in a direction that will produce a better outcome.
0: Right. Interestingly, uh, I was just thinking, you know, when I was a child, I was abandoned as a child. My first love relationship, he abandoned me. He just wasn't available, really, right, for love. I was abandoned by him, so obviously I attracted that. Uh-huh. But then what I did was the complete opposite end of the spectrum. I got someone just to get someone that I knew would not abandon me,
1: uh-huh.
0: but I was not in love with them.
1: Right. I would say that abandonment was still in control of your love. Yep, life. exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. So
0: I played it. I played it like really safe. Like, well, I'll just find someone that don't that won't abandon me then. Like, uh-huh. that'll be perfect.
1: And <laughs> right. even though
0: I felt very safe,
1: mm-hmm. it just
0: wasn't for me.
1: Uh-huh, right. You know, so right. it's
0: it yeah, so I had to step out of that and go, okay, wait a minute. We got to drop this abandonment thing. But uh-huh.
1: That that's and, what unle- unlearning it means. You move it out of your love life experience. Yes. You're not you're not allowing it to 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 determine what gets yes. chosen. And doing right. the opposite is just the same influence you're doing. Yeah. You know, what I mean is uh the unhealthy opposite see the unhealthy op- the healthy opposite is someone who can make a commitment the unhealthy is dependency yeah. uh, okay let me let me get someone who's never going to leave me that's another problem yeah you know, exactly. the, the dependent men aren't ready for a healthy love relationship because yep. they're trying to possess their partners there's a insecurity in them psychologically that's in control of their love life and it's not a good emotion, feeling to have because insecurity leads in some cases to control and abuse can lead to all kinds of mistreatment. So it's really uh, the opposite of abandonment. The healthy opposite of abandonment is someone who appreciates commitment and attachment, honors and respects that. So uh, you went to the unhealthy opposite of abandonment (laughs) because abandonment was still in control. And abandonment's (laughs) powerful. Abandonment yes. is one of those very, it's very awful. powerful. Yeah. I'm very I'm very gratified. I've had a number of people who've also yeah. been abandoned young young at young points in life and uh when they still needed the parent, for example, yep. to be in their life. And I'm, I'm I'm very I'm very happy to say that I've had the privilege of, mm-hmm. of accompanying a number of people who are able to move away from unavailable partners mm-hmm. and really develop the filter required to filter out people who weren't quite ready for the type of attachment that produces a healthy love relationship so right. it's like a filter for any manifestation of abandonment let me get this out yeah let me attach this to the past because that's mm-hmm. where it belongs um i don't forget it i just don't let it have the kind of determining power that it wants to have let me move that aside and let me study Availability. What does availability look like? What does mm-hmm. healthy availability look like? What does healthy attachment look like? And when a person begins that work, it's such a wonderful thing because uh, people will come in and say to me, Oh, I dated someone last night who's exactly like the type of man I can't have in my life or the type of woman I can't have in my life. And so, what's fun about that is they've got the filter out and it's active and it's working for right. them. And they'll say, Well, I. I met someone who I think might be, might be a candidate, you know, I was like, okay, so you know, <laughs> the, we get excited about that. And we ask questions. And, and so there's a little bit of an evaluation process going on in the background a little bit, you know, and then I, I get to ask questions like, did he survive the second round? Yeah, he's still in the running, you know, <laughs> and, and we get to play like that. But It's very serious business. And it's the business of moving these unhealthy relationship experiences out of the love life arena. Mm. They don't belong there. They're toxic. Mm -hmm. They, uh, They affect things from the inside out. So being able to tag them, see them for what they are, understand what they've taught us and move that out of the considerations that we have. For, right. for eligible partners. What is eligibility? Very important. Yes, it's uh, it's like conscious dating, if you will. Good, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> like a, all
0: these good terms, yeah, you know? Yeah,
1: they beautiful. <laughs> conscious dating, exactly.
0: Conscious dating, that should be a book, you know? Uh-huh. Conscious dating.
1: probably is. <laughs> so
0: speaking of your book, what, what's your book title again? Uh,
1: Learn to Love, uh, Guide to uh, Healing Your Disappointing Love Life. Uh, Ah, it's on Amazon. If you put in the whole title, it comes up very easy. I won six book awards,
0: self-published,
1: self-published book, six book awards. Good Um, for
0: you. Well, it's a hot uh, topic, hot topic,
1: you know, and it's written in as a guidebook. You, mm -hmm. You can write in it. There's spaces to fill in your particular experiences. I wanted it to be something people could easily read. It's not that long. It gets to the point. Um, that people could use as a guidebook to kind of begin the work of consciously becoming aware of what is going on in the areas of their psychological love life. So yes. um, it was written so, with that in mind, you know, a I simple love guide. It.
0: Well, thank God you went through all that stuff years and years ago. <laughs> so you
1: can, <laughs> you can oh, teach us. You learned Maybe, that to teach us. Uh, well, so. I don't know. Maybe I would. Uh, what would have happened if I had gotten married at 25 Huh? <laughs> <laughs> to my wife? <laughs> yeah, I know. What's real is that I wasn't ready at that time. Yeah, I, it's I wasn't true. ready. That's the reality. Yeah. You know, That's I love it. So so
0: where else can we find you?
1: Um, I'm uh. Let's see. I'm uh, I'm on uh, love life learning My website has a lot about my wife okay. and I. We uh, we also offer love life consultations for anyone who's read the book and would like a little support to go through the unlearning process. Oh nice. Um so we we do it by phone. We'll be doing it in the office uh at some point in the near future. But uh uh, you know, sometimes there are barriers to making these changes—psychological barriers—and yep. helping people become aware of the, what those barriers are allows the, the love life work to to progress a little bit more easily. Yeah. So, so it's always good to get another call.
0: perspective.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Sometimes, you th- yeah. yeah. Well, you've been so amazing. I I've had a blast. last learning about love
1: thank you for inviting me wendy the spontaneity was wonderful (laughs) yes yes
0: thank you so much did this podcast inspire you challenge you trigger you to make a change or spit out your coffee laughing good then there are three ways you can thank me number one you can leave a written review of this podcast on apple itunes number two you can take a screenshot of the episode and share it on social media and tag me, Wendy Valentine. Number three, share it with another midlifer that needs a makeover. You know who I'm talking about. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Get out there and be bold, be free, be you.